Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again of, uh, drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be, and who would do this. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words that we can read, that we can learn, um, and God, that they are living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so God, we pray that as we look into your word this morning and we, and we talk about um, the Lord's Supper, about communion, um, God, would you just teach us and would you speak to us what we need to hear this morning? And we ask all of these things in your name. So how many great stories have started with these six simple words? Do you remember that time when? And then whatever the story is that follows probably has some degree of embellishment, an element of selective forgetfulness, or it has taken on an entire life of its own over time, not resembling much of any actual events, but fun to tell just the same. In Tara Westover's book, Educated, she recounts how, as a child, she had been told the same story of a particular event that happened to a different family so many times by her father that she had internalized it to the point where she would remember it as her own story. She would vividly recall the events of that particular day, her mother holding an infant while chaos ensued all around them, even though in reality, she herself was the youngest in her family. The telling and retelling of that story shaped her memories. Memory is powerful. The fact that we can bring to mind past events from our own lives and information we have gleaned from a wide variety of sources is pretty incredible. Now, one of my favorite jokes when I was younger goes like this. What's the difference between your average goldfish and a genius goldfish? Well, an average goldfish only has a two-second memory, so its life goes something like this. Look, a castle! Look, a castle! Look, a castle! Well, a genius goldfish has a three-second memory, so its uh, life goes a little bit like this. Look, a castle! 
castle, boy, am I dumb? Look a castle, boy, am I dumb? Uh, so memory can shape us, empower us, free us, or keep us captive. It can impact the outcome of history, whether as a culture and community we have forgotten the past and chosen to repeat it, or have remembered in such a way as to make, a better, to make better decisions resulting in better outcomes. Memory, or the intentional remembering of the past was an important part of Jewish life and culture. And it is at one such event, a meal designed to remember God's intervention in the lives of the Jewish people, that Jesus' disciples are called to a new remembrance of events just about to take place. Passover was celebrated annually, a week-long celebration to remember how God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, including Moses' reluctance, the ten plagues, Pharaoh's stubbornness, all culminating in the death of firstborn sons all across Egypt before the Israelites were eventually set free. Celebrating Passover is the context in which we read Luke 22. It is while remembering the past that Jesus and his disciples are reclining around the table and while considering God's faithfulness when Jesus takes the bread and the cup and says, take, eat, and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. As God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God was once again about to intervene on behalf of not just the Israelites, but of all people. Dr. Ruth Ann Reese says that Jesus was pointing to himself as the new means of deliverance. Not just deliverance from slavery, but deliverance from sin and death itself. It is while eating this meal together that Jesus once again, as he had so many times, tells his disciples that something is significant is about to happen. And he tells them to remember. Perhaps they missed it at the time. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, of course we'll remember you. But they were thinking in the long distant future. This admonishment to remember had no immediate necessity for them. So Jesus just hung out there. Not only talking about it, but like all good teachers, giving them also tangible expressions and examples of this remembrance. The bread and the wine, imbuing new meaning into old symbols. These would have been by no means uncommon foods. As they would sit for meals in the days and weeks and months to come, they would have been reminded over and over again, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's it, right? We found the reason we celebrate communion. To remember, to bring to mind and appreciate all that it is that Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross. But as my son Simon tells me, every good story has a problem, a conundrum. And here it is that we find ours. If that were to be the end of this message, if all we talked about this morning was that in communion we spend time remembering, then as Dr. Robert Stamp says, it's just humanism. If communion is simply our acknowledgement of God's work in the past, 
If it is only our action of coming to the table, our remembering of God, if do this in remembrance of me becomes just a mental reflection, then we've missed something significant. The Jewish rabbi Baal Shem Tov, who lived in the 1700s, is attributed with saying, in remembrance lies the secret of redemption. The Greek translation of the word remembrance is literally bring affectionately to mind. Now, I can do this to some extent with the people who have, uh, in my life who have died. I remember with affection my grandparents and my mom, but there is a distance that grows in my mind each and every passing year. I cannot bring my mother back to life in my memories as fond and as prolific as they are. And yet, as we bring affectionately to mind Jesus, we are not simply recalling some historical figure, but we are engaging with the resurrected Christ. He is alive. Have you ever been invited to someone's home for dinner? Even if they are a good friend, we take the time to brush our teeth, put on clean clothes, make sure our hair looks neat. So is it really any wonder if you have ever treated communion the same way? Perhaps you have thought about the Lord's Supper with a ritualistic type of ideology whereby you must act in such a way as to present yourself perfect at the table so that God might believe you're good enough to actually be there. And of course, this does make sense if communion were primarily our action, our somehow pleasing God by taking the time to remember. But as we participate in communion, it is not primarily our action, but God's. We simply come with hands open. It's what Wesleyans call a means of grace. Simply put, it's a specific way of God working in our lives as followers of Jesus, which forms us more and more into Christ-likeness. It is like a glass. This is perfect. This is excellent timing. Thank you. It's like a glass that holds an ice-cold cup of water when it is deliriously hot outside and we are parched. The glass is the vessel that allows us to drink. Taking communion is a vessel whereby we not only remember Jesus dying on the cross, but where we actually meet the living Christ. As we come to communion, Jesus meets us exactly where we are. And it is his action in us and for us. For this very reason, John Wesley encouraged regular participation in communion, taking it himself weekly, and at times, during Christmas and Easter, he would take it on a daily basis. Now, some may consider this to be some form of self-righteousness or a self-enforced piety, but for Wesley, the belief that communion was a primary way one could experience God's grace and sustaining power was the motivation to participate often in order to be identified with and strengthened for the work of Christ. Now, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in Luke 24. And in it, we read the account of two men on their way to Emmaus. They urged Jesus to stay with them, and it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It was in the breaking of bread that Jesus was revealed to those two men. And it is in the breaking of bread that he is revealed to us still today. In some mysterious way, these symbols of Christ's body and blood, we encounter the living Jesus. So, we celebrate communion to remember. Second, we also celebrate communion to experience the mystery of God's grace extended to us at the table. And third, finally, and briefly, we celebrate communion as community. Jesus chose to instate this practice of remembrance at a meal shared with his disciples. And this would become the framework on which communion was observed, in community with the body of Christ. The earliest record of communion in the Bible is actually found in 1 Corinthians. We see that it is being practiced as a communal meal, and Paul is very much concerned for the community relationships that surround the meal itself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about the body of Christ, possibly here using a double meaning, both referring to the physical body of Jesus, but also that of the church, capital C, body of Christ. In communion, we acknowledge ourselves in relationship with God, but also with God's people, with one another. If God is concerned with the restoration of all things to himself, then Paul is rightfully concerned with the restoration of relationships within the church, the body of Christ. Instead of relating to one another in ways that lead to death because of sin, what if we related to one another in grace, in ways that give life? Believing that God is at work within us as individuals, but also corporately in the practice of communion, uh, then communion is the ideal avenue where this should begin. So during communion, we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. We experience the transformational, the mystery of the grace of God at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And we are restored to one another in community through the power of God at work within us for ourselves, but also for the world. Tara Westover, who I referenced earlier, had been shaped by the telling and retelling of a certain story to the extent that it affected her memories and her very identity. As followers of Christ, we have been given a new identity. The old has gone, the new has come, not I, but Christ who lives in me. As we participate regularly in communion, the telling and retelling of our story as loved and forgiven will shape our identity as individuals and community being transformed by the love of God who is restoring all things to himself. So in just a few moments, we will have the opportunity as a community to participate in the act of communion. We will remember, we will in a mysterious way encounter the living Jesus and in so doing be made more into his likeness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to participate in the Lord's Supper in communion to remember 
but in remembering, actually encounter the living Jesus. To be transformed by you and your grace, to be made more like Jesus. And as we as individuals are made more like you, um, that as a community we are also made more like you and able to impact our neighborhood, our community, our workplaces, our schools. So God, we, um, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth contained in them. Would you ever more make us um, like you? And we pray all of these things in your faithful name. Amen. Stay standing while um, you hear the benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.